Welcome to Right Now Workshop Podcast, where you can write a book and change the world. I'm your host, Kitty Buholtz, and this is episode 247. Are you ready for a literary agent? An interview with Cynthia Rookti coming to you on Thursday, May 13th, 2021. This is a great interview, whether you are unpublished, traditionally published, self-published, or hybrid published. There will be lots of great information that you can glean from all the things that Cynthia talks about to help you know when and if now is a good time for you to look into finding the right literary agent for you. If you need one at all, if you need one later, um, and also we'll talk a little bit about uh, Cynthia's work as an agent. I think that you're going to get a lot out of this episode. I'm very excited. Remember, if you're looking for any help on finishing your book or starting and finishing your book or self-publishing your book, these are the things that I focus on in my book coaching business. I have a Finish Your Book membership group where we uh, do writing sprints together twice a week. And then we also have a guest speaker once a month. And we have kind of a brainstorming, problem solving, uh, whatever it is that we need session once a month as well. So lots of interesting things that uh, you can work with me to help get your book done to the end. Not just done, I think maybe, but actually writing it all the way through to the end, editing it, finding out who can help you edit it, proofread it, have a completely finished book that then people can read and enjoy and be excited that, look, this person is so helpful because they're either entertaining me or teaching me how to do something because they wrote this book. And who knows, maybe your book will be one of the books that help change somebody's world. Wouldn't that be awesome? So reach out to me if you would like to know more about what I do. Remember that you can find episode show notes at podcast.rightnowworkshop.com forward slash episodes, and then look for the episode number that you're looking for. So for instance, if you wanted to know how to find Cynthia, you would go to episode 247 and there'll be a link to her website. And in the meantime, let's talk to Cynthia. Today's guest is Cynthia Rookti. Cynthia is an award-winning author of more than 30 books and has spent a number of years serving as American Christian Fiction Writers Professional Relations Liaison, helping connect the association with readers, other authors, book clubs, retailers, libraries, and others in the publishing and reading worlds. In 2017, she joined Books and Such Literary Management as a literary agent accompanying others as they reach for their publishing and writing dreams. Cynthia has a heart for shepherding other authors, and in that, as well as all other aspects of life, she lives and works under the banner, I Can't Unravel, I'm Hemmed in Hope. Welcome, Cynthia. Thank you so much, Kitty. It's a joy to be here again. Yes, ah, you were on earlier this year, and I have to say, every time I read your, I don't know if you call it a tagline, but I can't unravel, I'm hemmed in hope. It just makes me feel like, oh yeah, me too. I feel okay. I'm, I'm going to be okay. <laughs> it's interesting because it does that to me every time as well. When I, sometimes I sign, I autograph books with that tagline because I know that, that, that it's, it's not my signature people need, but they need a little hope. Yeah. And if they get even just that little bit of hope in the autograph for a book, then they will have walked away with something in addition to a story. 
Yes, yes, I'm totally with you. You and I, sometime when we can be on the same continent yeah. and during the time we're allowed to be together, we have to have like a really long lunch or whatever. Yeah. Because um, I have the same thing with my superhero books. Um, mm -hmm. One day it just came to me, oh, this is what I really want to say with them. And I have t shirts and I sign my books. You have more power than you realize. Ooh. So it kind of can come from whatever direction you need it to come from when you're mm -hmm. reading it. Um, yep. But it was perfect to make it a part of my superhero book series. Yeah, that's kind of a message that doesn't grow old. It does. It's practically never doesn't fit. <laughs> it, it fits whatever the situation you're going through, whether that's parenting or writing or uh, a big, massive, nasty chore you have to do in housekeeping right. or, or a relationship problem where what you need to realize is where either where is your power coming from in order to get through this relationship crisis, or it might be you've been a little too shy and you need to speak up, speak up whatever it is. So I love that idea that there are so many more ways, and this might be a great, great lesson for writers too. There's so many more ways of communicating than just a book in hand. Yeah. And when we, a true writer and a true writer's heart will be looking for those ways to communicate something of value wherever they go, whether it's the final word you say to the grocery store clerk or wh whatever that is, it's, um, it, it's just part of us. It's, it's, it's in us and then we yeah. can hardly get away from it. Yeah. Oh, okay. You know what? I hope that um, part of our talk today, you talk about uh, examples of different things from other writers as they come to mind, but let's kind of start at the beginning. So last mm -hmm. time you were here, we focused on you as an author, but today we're focusing on you as a literary agent. So tell us, how did that start for you? That was one of those things that I didn't see coming. Really? It And honestly, when I first started authoring, my agent, Wendy Lawton from Books and Such, uh, would, now we're colleagues in the same agency, but um, my agent, just in the early days of her serving as my literary agent, had asked me to fill out a form and write down some goals that I had for the next couple of years in my writing life and goals for five years from now. And then she asked a very telling question about... Um, where I saw myself at the end of my writing career, not meaning you're done writing, but at, in a place where um, you have reached kind of, this is my end goal. This is where I would really see myself. And even then as a new writer, I saw myself, and this is what I wrote down, as an acquisitions editor, because I loved the idea of pouring over other people's work and finding the gems and being able to nurture those gems along and get those books out into the public so they'd reached other people's hands. And as the years went by, I that was just because she made me do that assignment. Yeah. But as the years went by, that idea did not stick. I just, I was writing, enjoying the writing, enjoying connecting with readers. And that idea kind of faded even a little bit more as I came to realize how much work it takes to be an editor at a publishing house, an acquisitions editor at a publishing house. And uh, so that goal kind of faded on the page as if the ink was kind of getting a little old and the pages were yellowing. But in uh, 2017, out what I considered out of the clear blue sky, my... Um, the president of Books and Such, Janet Grant, uh, 
called me and said, have you ever considered being a literary agent? We're thinking about bringing on another agent to our agency. And I said, no, huh? nope, no, I, oh, no, I'm going to have to pray about it. And, and, I, and I said the, oh, no, because this is how it's always worked in my life, that the thing that was laid before me was not the thing that I was actively seeking, but something that came across my path. Yeah. And when I told my husband about this invitation, he, um, he said, I assumed he was going to say, you're not going to do one more thing. And I would have thought to myself, that's wisdom, honey. Thank you. I will. That's my answer right there. Yeah. But instead he said, don't you think you've been groomed for this? And I had to stop and think about all the authors that I had come in contact with and all the, all the ways that I had longed to encourage them and all the connections that I had within the publishing industry that weren't necessarily afforded to the, to the average author and, and where my heart was and where my skill sets lay. So uh, the end result was that I said, my husband also said this one, he said, well, it's no riskier than what you're already doing. And I thought that's true. So I joined the Books and Such Literary Agency in 2017. And Janet Grant is a wonderful mentor and mentors all the agents that she takes on, no matter how many years they've been agenting. So there's a real camaraderie among the agents within the agency. We're helping and helping one another. We're, we're searching out answers. If we have a dilemma, we're brainstorming ideas all the time and always looking to what do our authors need, but also what does the publishing house need and how can we, how can we create relationships so that everybody feels like they're winning in, in the uh, arrangement, whether that's convincing a publishing house to take on and take on an author. And every single time they do that, that's a risk every time, no matter how, um, prolific that author might be because there's a financial investment on their part. They're tying up people and everything else in the process. So to, to get that book to the market. So end result of all that, that's kind of how it began. It was a, it was a surprise. It wasn't a goal, but then when I looked back at that faded ink on that yellowed page, I realized there is an awful lot about being an agent. That's a lot like acquisitions editor. It's that same mindset of, is this a project that can make it to book form out there in the market? What would need to be done to it? Um, Who is this author? Is that a good fit for our agency as well as for a publishing house too? So kind of reached a goal that I wasn't pursuing, (laughs) but it wound up being part of what had been in, in my heart too. And I don't know uh, very many acquisitions uh, editors, but the the few that I know and the agents that I know, my guess is you have a little bit more control of your time and maybe don't work quite so many hours if you don't want to. Oh, that's a great line to add to the end if you don't <laughs> want to. Uh, and the reason I say that is because, yes, acquisitions editors have... Um, they, they have real tight deadlines. They, they are working off of a sales schedule. One would think then that the agent would have less uh, full days, 
But the truth of the matter is, it's absolutely dependent on what kind of an agent it is. Okay. There are those agents, literary agents that serve the single role of getting a contract for their author. But books and such as a whole, and me personally, uh, we have a different approach to that. We are real strong on author care. And we're real, real strong in that idea of not just receiving a project and turning around and sending it out to 10 or 15 places. We are matchmakers for where's the best fit for this project. We are um, caretakers of the proposal itself. Is it ready? Is it, um, is it in, it, does it have all the holes filled? Are there places where an editor will look at it and say, well, I don't understand. What's the reader takeaway here? Yeah. And if the agent, if the author hasn't addressed that and the agent doesn't catch that, then we're leaving a possibility. We often say, and you've probably said it yourself, is that part of what an agent does is to eliminate all the reasons for a, an acquisitions editor to say no. Yeah. So as if we're tackling one at a time, and until we have eliminated all the reasons to say no, then that's that meets the goal of the publishing house as well as the author and the agent herself. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Now, I don't want to um, get off track. This is this mm -hmm. is all about am I ready for an agent? Mm -hmm. And we're we're talking to all authors here, traditionally published, self-published, because there's a yep. lot of things that agents do. Mm -hmm. um, and it kind of crosses what uh, what some authors feel is a boundary between traditional and, and self-publishing. But I do want people to just take one second and think about, um, go back and listen to the last episode that uh, Cynthia was on, because there was also an amazing story that you told there about getting involved in something totally out of the blue that lasted 30 years that it turned out you were great at and you really enjoyed. And now that might've happened again. And I just want people to, to stop and think what might be happening in my life around me, or I just need to be open in case something comes up that I'm like, that isn't really what I thought I was going to do, but could it actually be a good match? I think that's a great place to start in regard to that whole idea of, am I ready for an agent? And, and this, overarching, it's a great place to start because what we're finding lately, and we all know this to be true, that it's hard to get a book published. It's hard. And that getting a book published does not mean my life is now perfect. Yeah. In fact, it means my life is now harder. Yeah. My life is now busier. My life is now... Um, uh, ruled by some of those deadlines and some of the, those constraints and everything, whether that's self-publishing or inde um, independently hybrid or traditional publishing, however that works. And um, so knowing that to be true, we're also taking a look these days at gifts and opportunity. So sometimes a person authors gifts and opportunity intersect at a place that isn't necessarily a published book. Sometimes it's, boy, you are really good at video. You're really one of those people who can connect with someone in, the, in, in a listening audience and express what you would have expressed in a, in a book, but they don't have 10 hours to read the book or listen to it on audio. But they will listen to your two-minute video presentation that keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. That may either be part of building your audience, 
before you have a published book, or that may be the place where you're the best fit. So we're often talking about really analyzing our skill sets, our personalities, what are the opportunities there open to us? And for many people, it's podcasting, podcasting either as a supplement to what they're doing, or that may be their niche. That may be the place that is reaching the most people, having the greatest impact. And how could we think that that was a lesser goal? Yeah. Have our name on a book. Oftentimes the people whose goal is to have their name on a book wind up being disappointed because they, if that's their singular goal, because they discover then that having their name on a book is short-lived. Even though the book may stay on the shelf for a long time, it won't stay on the bookshelves in the bookstores for a long time, unless yeah. it's a classic. It won't stay in the front of pe- forefront of people's minds, readers' minds, unless it's a classic. It will take a lot of work. It may be well-received. It may not be well-received. It may sell well. It may not sell well. But is there joy in seeing your name on a book? Oh, absolutely. But if we make that the primary goal, then those are the authors that are most likely to be disappointed. So so kind of dovetailing off of that, Kitty, and I know I'm kind of... I'm not rambling here, but I'm talking fast because there's so much stuff (laughs) in here, kind of working off of that. Somebody who wants to intentionally um, self-publish and that's their goal, that's their end game. That is what they want. There's um, many, many reasons for that to be a good option. One of the reasons is that sometimes we're writing in a niche that just uh, that the publishing houses haven't yet caught up that that would be a really good niche for people who like to read that sort of book. And I can't think of one right now, but uh, but there are those definite. Well, poetry would be one. Right. Poetry is a really tough sell right now, a really tough sell. There are a couple of arenas in which that would work. But for most people, and I I talked to someone just the other day, her goal was to have it published for family and friends. Uh, She was a perfect candidate to self-publish because then she has control over how it looks. She has control over the cover, the interior, um, how many poems she chooses to put in it. She can make it as long or short as she wants to. It's not guided by what's an expectation on the publishing shelves. And it's available for all the people that she can send to an online source to be able to get it. Someone who is self-publishing does not need an agent, but it's also who wants to singularly self-publish or who has one book in them, that's a difficult place too. But um, part of the reason for not needing an agent if you're self-publishing is because the agent makes no money unless the book is traditionally published and the author is paid a, a royalty in advance. So all of the work that we do is gets zero dollars in our income pocket unless the author is traditionally published. Now, we do have a lot of clients who have chosen to do both traditional publishing and self-publishing, and there's a, a level of guidance and a level of help and support and uh, coaching that can go along with that that works well as well. So if you're, as an author, thinking, I want to self-publish, you may not need an agent, but what an agent does you may need 
You may right. need to think about the kinds of things an agent does, which we'll get to in a minute. Okay. If you want to do traditional publishing only, you almost 100% are going to need to have an agent by your side in, the, in today's world, yeah. today's publishing world. And if you want to do a mix of both, that is a maybe yes, maybe no. Yeah. But the traditional publishing side of it is probably going to need an agent. That's the foundation starting ground for these questions, I think. Right. And um, I know that, I don't know if this is true at your agency, but I do know that there are some self-published authors who have been um, making an excellent living um, with English books sold in English speaking territories. Mm -hmm. um, but some of them have said that they got an agent to help them sell um, foreign language mm -hmm. rights to therefore traditional publishers mm -hmm. and work on um, other ancillary rights. Is that mm -hmm. something that Books and Such Literary Management also considers? There are times that that might be a possibility, definitely. Mm -hmm. Usually there's, uh, there's a level of work involved with that, that we have to, and this is an important element of it too, that we have to balance with what do our current clients need? How much time do our current clients require of us so that we can serve them well? Because that always has to be our top priority before we consider taking on another client. Yeah. And, and sometimes we take on a client because the project is just one we can't resist. And that's, that's true. Or the author is the person we can't resist. But we are weighing all the time that idea of, if I take on this new client or if I take on this project where it's subsidiary rights only or foreign language rights only that I'll be working with, I need to weigh, can I afford to um, invest the time that that will take and still be able to serve my other clients well? Right. So yes, that's a, that is a possibility and it depends largely on the book, maybe the book's popularity, uh, maybe the past sales records and, and the particular interest. There are a lot of books, a lot of clients that I could take on that I choose not to. And this goes back to your initial question too about in-house editors or um, acquisitions editors versus agents. Uh, we, I do have a little more flexibility in how many clients am I going to take on that, that will affect a lot of other things. I can take on just a handful of clients and if they're big, big sellers and they're best sellers, that could work out fine. It'll still be an awful lot of work and, and a handful of clients, or I can take on a, a wide range and a mix of clients but I'm not required to take on a project that I really don't like. And I have no one telling me I need to. Um, within the agency, we're all, we, as I said, collaborate and we think through things. But the joy of not, of being able to pick and choose the projects that thrill me mean that every project I'm going to be working on thrills me. Uh -huh, yeah. So the author has the advantage that I already am invested in what they're writing. And then imagine how much easier it is for me as an agent to talk to a publisher or an editor and sell them on that idea because I'm already convinced it's already changed my life. Yeah. So someone might say, um, I need an agent, you're an agent, here's my project for my um, steampunk novel that 
um, is set in an era I don't care about and has elements in it that really um, are are harsh to my heart, like whether that's um, could be violence or it could be violence, could be any number of things. Yeah. It could be tiptoeing a little too close to sensual things that that is not where I personally want to go with the yeah. clients that I represent. Um, I do have the freedom to say to say no. I'm we're not an agent, an author is not, and there's debate about this, but an author is not hiring an agent. An author is partnering with an agent. So I'm not under obligation to take a project that I don't really care about. Yeah. But the good news is for the authors that I do take on, they know I already care about their project. Yeah. And you know what? That's a great uh, um, thought that I think it doesn't... Um, let me say that one more time. I love this idea and I think it needs to be underscored that even though you don't make money unless I make money. And so there is um, an understanding of where this idea comes from that your agent works for you. The mm. fact is, is that everybody who's ever had a job, um, yeah, nobody really wants to have some boss person putting their thumb down on you and being <laughs> like, you work for me, therefore thou must do what I say. Right. It's way, way better to have a relationship, a, mm. um, a, like you said, a partnership, whether mm -hmm. it's like, um, my, my closest girlfriends and I, we have a partnership of sorts, you know, my mm -hmm. husband and I, we have a partnership of mm -hmm. sorts. It's give and take. And sometimes I give more and sometimes I need to take more. Mm -hmm. Um, but in the end, we're both better for it. And isn't yeah. that kind of really what the author agent relationship is? That is really true. It really is a relationship. It's a collaborative coming alongside. I want to be on your journey with you. I, I would like to be on your writer journey with you. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, and what that means sometimes is that I may give you a piece of counsel or advice that I know is wisdom that has come from what we know about the industry or what I've learned from other agents and from editors that we're working with. And you may not care for that piece of advice. Well, we would discuss it then and see, is one of the two of us going to move on that issue? <laughs> yeah. um, and if not, I worked for 33 years with, with uh, my radio partner in the radio ministry. And she and I had difference op of opinion about some things. She was 22 years older than I was. And she had some, um, some kind of not just opinions, but the world in which she grew up. All she right. also grew up in a different region of the country that I did. So sometimes we would have word choice uh, arguments or discussions about, are we going to say this in this particular place or that? And every once in a while, she, because she was a peacemaker as well as me, um, she would once in a while say, well, okay, let's just go with your way then. Or I would say the same to her. And all the time we would come up back together to say, you know what, we're not going to just bow to the other one's idea. If we feel strongly about this, we're going to wait yeah. and see if there's a third idea that we can both be happy with. Yeah. We applied that principle to all those years and that wound up being such wisdom. Nice. So we often do that now. And I do that is in agenting as well, that if we butt heads on something, but, but I know that it's wisdom from the industry. Um, we may just have to wait a little bit to see how it plays out. And sometimes this glorious new door will open up that avoids that problem altogether or, or whatever the situation is. So, yeah. 
So, and so this is part of the answer to, am I ready for an agent? If I am an author who is not ready for critique, I'm not ready for an agent. Yeah. I may not even be ready for publication because as you know, from your editing hat, the, the authors that come with perfect work are pretty rare, pretty rare that we might think we've done everything we can. And then we hand it to the editor and the editor sees things we didn't notice or, or, or sees how the reader would receive that the the author knew exactly what she meant to say, but the reader might receive it in a different way. So the value of having that editor is so strong. And the value of an author being willing to show his or her work to someone else who is a little farther along in the journey and can speak into that work. If the author isn't ready for that, either emotionally or mentally, they're not ready yet for an agent because there will be a lot of that going on, a lot of back and forth and a lot of that talking through to make this proposal. Initially, that's the first thing, make the proposal the best it can possibly be. So that's one good question for an author to ask him or herself. Am, Am I willing to be critiqued Am I willing to have someone look at my work? Because if you're heading for publication, there will be people looking at your work. <laughs> yeah. And even as an author now with 35 books under my belt, I, I think it's comforting to some of my clients to hear that every single word I write is still seen through an editor's eye and sometimes two or three or four rounds of it. Yeah. And that's because we as the author don't always pick up on those things But if your psyche or your emotional state or your fragility, um, and that could be because of where you are in life at the moment, or it could be because of past hurts from criticism, or it could be any number of things. If you're not ready for that level of critique to move forward, then you're probably not yet ready for an agent, but you could get ready as you heal emotionally or as you step out little by little, you're a comfortable critique group. And then you find out that the critiques that were made actually make you love your own story more, your own book more, then that is going to feed your courage to be able to come into an agent author relationship. Yeah. That's perfect. That sounds so good because um, so much of it is just choosing, is this the person that I'm going to trust? Mm -hmm. And, and am I willing to believe in the midst of, um, you know, reading this feedback that I didn't expect and is maybe hurting me a little bit or confusing me? um, Do I choose to trust this person because we partnered together because I thought probably I could trust them? Am I going to continue to trust? Yeah. And that is, a great thing that you just said, which was choosing, choosing well. And sometimes that choosing well means that you observe an agent for quite a long time before you make that decision. I often tell people that for me, it was a combination of not only seeing what the agent maybe said on the blog in a public forum, what they said in teaching at classes at conferences, uh, the way they comported themselves or the way they handled themselves when they were in discussions with people sitting at the table next to me at an author 
agent pitch or what they said in the hallways in the elevators yeah. how they how they reacted when the taxi was late when they were heading out to dinner that night yeah. how they responded when things didn't go the way they wanted to how they um social media social media excellent point there are they whiny and gripey and or are they not just pleasant, but do they have, do I feel like we're aligned with our thoughts in the way she thinks is the way I appreciate or, or her um, character, the character of the agent is so important because you can get an agent without going through all that, but yeah. you will have a disappointing author agent experience. So if you take the time to not just study how popular are they, uh, how many books are they selling, what kinds of books are they selling, but go a little deeper than that. Who are they as a person? What's their style? What, what is their, um, what's their overarching viewpoint? Do they have kind of an adversarial position with yeah. editors or other agents? Are they always the person who's gonna bring up an argument? that's going to carry over into the relationship. It's kind of like with dating when you think about it, <laughs> yeah. that you might fall in love at first sight, but, but, and it can work out. But if you allow a little bit of time to see, uh, as they often said, this is kind of the same thing, but they often said um, in when I was a youth and had my eyes open for who might be that guy, um, and then a little bit later on in life, I found myself saying it to my kids too, which was don't just go to the pizza parlor with somebody you think you're interested in. Go to a funeral with them. See yeah. how they respond at a funeral. Go to a place, serve together. Go to a, a food bank or something and see how they serve. Because those are the things that are going to really make a difference in your relationship whether he likes pepperoni to your sausage or not is not the big deal, make or break in the relationship. It's going to be all those other things. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that you say that because um, when my husband and I met, let's see, we, I have all these dates memorized. We met on January 13th. We went on our first date on January 16th. It was the eighties. So I asked him out because I was a modern eighties woman. Yes. Um, it was disastrous. <laughs> I was like, this, this is stupid, but you know, I pay, I asked, I paid, I'm getting my kiss and going home. Uh -huh. And then in the end, I was like, he was a really good kisser. Maybe I'll uh -huh. give him one more chance. <laughs> but I was pretty convinced uh, about six weeks in that mm -hmm. this was the guy I wanted to marry. And, and I was, I was done looking, but mm -hmm. it was two and a half years before we actually got married mm -hmm. because there's an awful lot of things that it would just be good to know um, so that you can not so much didn't change how much I loved him. I mean, I've thankfully, mm -hmm. thank God, I, I yeah. loved him more every day, you know, except for four or five of those days, but, right. you know, <laughs> but, um, the, the whole idea that, um, just like, you know, maybe you go to a conference and you get a roommate that you've never met and you totally hit it off and it's mm -hmm. fabulous. But a lot of times you might get a roommate or share a cab with, or sit next to somebody at a, at a writer's conference. And you're like, so this about you is really weird, but I like mm -hmm. that about you. And it mm. takes, you know, some time before you're like, okay, you know what? It doesn't bother me that much that you snore whenever we share a hotel room because <laughs> you're super funny and I adore you. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
And that that's so true. It really does follow across the board into this. It's it's not that we're looking for um, a rock star agent necessarily. What we're looking for is somebody that we can see traveling that journey with together. Yeah. And that the quirks that each of us have are not not a deal breaker. And that the strength that each of us have is going to be a good pairing, a good match. So that's, that's really an important part of this decision about number one, do I need an agent? And number two, what kind of agent am I looking for? Am I looking for an agent who will help hold my hand? And um, through tough times, I a lot of us would say, yes, please, somebody like that. Um, do I? Am I personally looking for an agent who will be, of what I chose was an agent who was a phenomenal businesswoman. Yeah. Who was also a, a great diplomat who had beautiful relationships and a strong woman of character. She could make me laugh, but she always knew, also knew when I needed a shoulder to cry on. And that combo was exactly what I needed. And it was very beneficial. It's interesting that with among all of the authors that I have, there's some commonalities in what, what my clients and I uh, share together and how we react with one another. But depending on the personality of the client, sometimes I go a little farther with author care with this one, or with this one, I need to be a little more of a nudge underneath to, unless you get me that proposal, I can't send it out. Yeah. With, with some others, we're in a pattern where we're, we're developing our relationship a little more slowly because of where they are in life at the moment. They may have young kids at home. And so they're writing at a little slower pace than they would. There are some of those moms that are writing at the fastest pace of any of my clients. So everybody's personality is a little different. There are some other real key things if you're open to it about um, knowing, am I ready for, for an agent? And part of that comes from what we notice of the proposals or the queries that cross our desk. And we notice that, oh, if this person just knew that they needed this key element put pulled together first before they approached us, it might've been a yes. So I'll, I'll go through a few of those now, if you're, if you're open to that idea. Yeah, absolutely. And when you're talking about this point, um, let us know if, uh, if some of the stuff turns into a revise and resubmit, and then you can explain what that means when you decide to talk about it. Yeah. That's a, that's a great idea. That's a great, great idea. So um, one of the, one of the key elements is do I even know what a proposal is? Yeah. Do I know what a query is? If all those words are foreign to me, I would do best to stop and learn more about what is this going to take before I ever approach an agent. So if we receive a query that says, um, I, I wrote a book, everybody says I should get it published. Um, my mom included, she just really loved it. And so everybody said, my first step is to get an agent probably your first step isn't to get an agent. Your first step probably is learn more about the industry. And I don't mean that that has to be um, an academic college course to do this, but how you do that, one of the key ways to do that is to follow literary agency blogs. Books and Such has a blog. We're not the only one. Ours is called Between the Lines, but if you get to the Books and Such Literary Management website, you can find where the blog 
link is. And that takes every twice a week, there's a new topic that is addressed that matters to authors and especially matters to authors who are looking to be published, and whether that's self-published or, or traditionally published. But many, many agencies have a blog like that. And that is a great source of information just to help you see, oh, I didn't know that's how this worked. Another way is to familiarize yourself with other authors, follow them on social media, watch what they're talking about and, and get a feel for that. I, I think there's a real strong point to be made too for if you do not read in the genre you're trying to write, push pause and go read a whole lot. Because if you're not aware that so much has already been written on a particular topic, you'll think yours is the first brilliant idea that has tackled the idea of we all should be taking a Sabbath rest. Yeah. Or you'll think you're the first person who, who um, thought about the fact that if we were just kinder to one another, wouldn't this be a better world? That's a great topic and a great subject. But if you're not able to come at it from a unique angle that's different from everybody else's take on that subject, then you're going to have a disadvantage. And so, to some degree, this is nonfiction and fiction, right? Both nonfiction and fiction, exactly. And one more question. So what yeah. would you say is the um, uh, year range, the time range that you would say that people should don't read for, for this particular type of study, don't read anything older than five years away or 10 years in the past? Or what are you thinking? That's really interesting. If, if an author has the time, it would be wonderful to read the classics and 10 years ago, maybe, but most importantly would be the last maybe three or four okay. or five years. That will also help them when it comes to filling out the comparable section of their proposal too. They need to know what is being written that has the same flavor or tone or topic or subject and how does their book fill a gap that, that those other books don't address? Or what angle, what new fresh angle is this author coming at it as opposed to the ones that have already been written? So every once in a while, we'll get a, a query that says, I've written a book, you've never seen anything like this. I, I know you're going to say yes. And I'm querying five other agents so that if you want it, you better speak up fast because they're all going to want it. And it happens to be a topic that has been way overdone, but the author hasn't read in that genre or in the, on that topic at all, hasn't done the research. Sometimes it's as simple as just Googling. Sometimes it's as simple as going to an online resource like Amazon and typing in just the topic and then see how many hundreds hits. of books there are, how many hits there are for that. So, and if that's a no from an agent, which it likely would be, that's one of those places too, that a smart and savvy author, um, if they have a, if they have at least two of the three legs of the stool that needs to support them. And I'll share what those three legs are in a minute. But if they have two of the three of those that are pretty strong, that author probably could come back after having done their homework and realizing, oh, I'm going to have to rework this because I do have a strong idea. I just didn't know it was that important to make sure that that hook or that, that unique approach was 
was an element of what I'm doing. If they would come back and repitch because they took the advice of the agent or because they realized what they now needed to know to stand out from among the crowd, that would be one of those people that could come back later on and say to the agent, I've, I've reworked this. Would you take another look? And there are two, three answers to that. One is, yes, I will. The other one is, no, I'm sorry, I can't. And there are a hundred reasons for that. It might just be time, the amount of time that an agent has. And the third one is maybe, what did you do? What (laughs) what did you do to change that? So the three legs of the stool that I usually talk about are strong writing, a great concept, a a unique concept, compelling um, concept, and a, a platform that will support the genre that they're writing in. And that platform is just that just that built-in audience. So if an author comes and understands that those three legs really have to be working in tandem for that stool to stay upright, yeah. um, then they have a, a leg up already. They have an open door already. If, if I open up a query and I see that that author understands I've been working on my platform because I know I have heard and read that that's important. Here are the people that I'm regularly reaching who are the people who are coming to me for either advice or they like what I have to say in the blog posts or the Facebook posts that I write. And they come with a compelling idea that is just, it's different from everything else. Like for instance, if there were a book on, um, I'm going to make this up. And if somebody tries to use this, great, if you can pull this off, but, (laughs) but uh, the idea of um, the best way to pray is to stop praying. And we would all, what, what does that mean? (laughs) This makes me want to lean in and learn more because they can't possibly be saying stop praying altogether, are they? And they're probably not, but they might be saying stop praying the way you have been or stop praying uh, to get as many words in as you can. Start focusing on what does God want to hear from you? Something like that. So that so that there's a compelling hook that draws me into want to hear more. And then that the writing has to support the story as well. That third stool is strong writing. Strong writing is, is fixable. So if the writing isn't strong, but it looks like the writer is teachable, that writer can come back after they have strengthened their writing skills. And in fact, that's happened with me. There have been a couple of authors who have come back later on and said, I took your advice to heart. I realized that I was heading off in kind of a direction that wasn't going to work. I've changed that up. Would you take another look? And my answer always is to that kind of person, yes, I will. I'll take another look. My answer might still have to be no, but I will take another look. Or I've been working on my platform for two years. I found my niche of who my people are, who my readers are. Would you take another look at this idea? So yes, there's an invitation for that, but knowing what the agent is going to have to have in order to make an informed decision is really helpful. So if the author knows that they need to understand the lingo, understand the industry, understand what's out there already, Mm -hmm. uh, understand 
how to describe their book in two or three sentences that will make sense yeah. to the editor or to the agent. Um, a lot of people will say, will start to tell their story, and I'm guilty of this myself, that we'll start to tell the story of what our book is about and ramble on and on and on and on. And what the agent and the editor is really looking for is, that's great, but can you tell it to me in two or three sentences? Because yeah. if you can, that shows great promise. Nice. You're able to encapsulate it into words that show the personality of the author, but also that same thing. Whatever makes an editor lean in to want to know more is going to make a reader lean in to want to know more. So that's important too. Excellent. Um, I can think about another couple of things, but if you have a question, I'm, I'm so open to that. I was just going to say, and unfortunately I'm looking at the time going, how is it that every time I talk to you, I'm like, how did the time go? <laughs> and I know you have some other work to do today and we, we can't leave people on the treadmill for too long, you know, but <laughs> for those who listen to a podcast on the treadmill, but I will say just real quickly before you give us the, the last couple of points, um, you know, when we were talking about the person who, who writes and said, and, and, uh, you know, the new, the new writer who writes five agents, you know, dear agent, this isn't going to blow your socks off. You better hurry because I know everybody wants it. My mom said so. Yeah. Um, so, and then I laughed, but I wanted to say if, um, if someone listening is like, I have done that, there is no shame in ignorance. Oh, the problem absolutely. is choosing to stay ignorant and not wanting to learn. That is absolutely true. And if I ever give an example and an author says that and cringes, please know you were not blacklisted. You, yeah. you were, we aren't talking about you behind your back. We're, 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 we haven't decided that um, that was foolish on your part. It probably was uninformed. Right. And there is a solution to uninformed. There's an easy solution to uninformed, and that is to get informed. And sometimes we as agents have the time to be able to give you a couple of hints about what what you might need or, or to get to a writer's conference, even if it's a virtual one or something something like that. Or yeah. if you, if they say I have, um, 32 newsletter subscribers and we have to say, I, I would love to revisit this idea, but you would need more like 2000 subscribers before on this particular subject, before an editor would be willing to look at it because you're coming at it as an expert. But yeah. if you don't have people who are following and hanging on your every word, then it's harder to convince a publisher that you are an expert on that. If someone comes and says, I just don't care for social media. And I think my words should stand on their own. Again, we cringe, not because we are shaming anyone, but we cringe because, and this is kind of a key point, because there are those people who say, I want to be an Olympic athlete and I want to be the best, but they don't want to do or realize what the work is that it takes to do that. They are, they're not just fooling themselves or they've been misled by somebody else or yeah. somebody else's experience, or they're trying to do what um, what others might do, which is think that they are the one exception to the rule that, yep, I know I don't have, I don't have a social media following and yes, I've never written anything before, but I think I'm the exception to the rule. And the, there's a little air of arrogance in that 
It would be like our looking at Michael Phelps and thinking that we could be equal to him. Michael Phelps broke all the records as an Olympic swimmer. He, he wowed us all. We watched in awe because he physically could do things no other human being could do. But people sometimes forget he never missed a practice or if he did, there was a very good reason for it. And his devotion to his craft was so strong. That's what made him the person that he was. That combination of inborn gifts, which every writer will have a certain set of inborn gifts and the willingness and the ability to work and work and work yeah. is, is the combo that really is going to bring them above the others in who are doing the very same thing that that author is doing and yeah. give them a chance. Excellent. Yeah. There's so many stories where you, um, you read one article about somebody and you're like this woman, you know, wrote in a cafe when her kids were in school and then she, you know, sold a hundred thousand copies of her first novel. And you're like, oh my gosh, A, that could never be me. B, I really want that to be me. And then, <laughs> and, I, and I'm speaking from experience. I actually Googled that author because I wanted to know seriously, like, is there such a thing as an overnight success? Because I don't know if it's uh, if it's an American thing, but you know we we like the idea of these overnight successes. Mm -hmm. But then I looked it up. She had been um, a journalist by trade for 15 years. Oh. The woman knows how to write. Yeah. It was just her first novel that she yeah. you know happened to write at least occasionally in a cafe. And I'm thinking, yeah, you know, <laughs> um, be careful to. I'm not saying don't believe everything you read, but I would say most of these big successes, similar to Michael Phelps, he didn't just sign up for the Olympics and go like right. he's a 20 year overnight success. Right. Right. <laughs> right. And that is the truth behind most. Um, if you're writing a novel right now, know that your first novel may likely not be the first one that gets published. It may be published eventually someday, but it's likely not to be the first one. If you're a nonfiction author and you had a great idea, and so you want to write a Bible study, but you've not even been in Bible studies before, or, or you uh, don't have a any kind of theological background at all, it is going to be a really, really, really tough road that will probably end in disappointment. Yeah. So the authors who are willing to make the commitment to do what needs to be done are the authors that will find either success or satisfaction. Yeah. They'll find satisfaction in doing their very best and find satisfaction in the, the doors and roads that were open to them, or they will find what a true definition of success, which is communicating in such a way that people are moved. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. I love it. Okay. Um, I'm going to stop interrupting. I think you have a couple more points left, right? Well, I, we, I, I had talked, we talked about the idea of getting to conferences, even as virtual conferences or, or being educated, but there's a lot to be said for books on the craft of writing. There is a rare multi-published author that isn't annually, some are monthly reading yet another book on the craft of writing or rereading books on the craft yeah. of writing. That comes as a surprise to a lot of us. Sometimes we show up at, 
at a writer's conference and they're sitting right beside us is someone who has 150 books published and has sold 4 million copies, but they're taking notes furiously because they're continuing to learn. So that too, a continual learner is an is a gift to an agent. When an agent sees that someone is, is reading books on the craft of writing and, and um, has conquered some of the issues that they might have had in their early days, that really speaks highly to this relationship could work. And I might be ready for an agent if I've taken the time to read and um, uh, whether it's those blogs or whether we're talking about finding out about an agent or learning about the publishing industry, the craft of writing Write, reading a book about point of view, if you're a novelist, about show, don't tell, reading another book about how do you even structure a plot? How is a plot of a book like three acts of a play? All those kinds of subjects that are going to inform you as an author. You may be doing some of those things naturally because of your natural inborn gift, but it's still going to help. And that will help you to know, yep, I've been doing this I've been doing that. There are actual lists that we could form, but this kind of idea of approaching from a learner aspect and then doing the learning so that you become not just a student, but you then can become even a um, uh, polished or mature in your writing, which is really good. It doesn't depend on age at all. It depends on investment of time. Excellent. Yeah, I'm totally with you on the age thing. Um, One of my clients just a few months ago, uh, it was actually, we self-published his book on Thanksgiving Day in the US in uh, 2020. He's 88 years old. It's his first novel. And that man kept me hopping. He had read so many books on uh, the craft and the business and self-publishing in particular that he just totally kept me on my toes. And I'm like, I would love all of my clients to be just like you. (laughs) Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be great? Oh, it's good stuff. Mm probably how, how you feel when you come across an author that you're like, Absolutely. wow, I love your work and you love to learn. This is amazing. Yeah. Yep. That's a great combination. It's a great combination to have. Oh, great. Now, is there anything else that you wanted to add before we let you get back to the rest of your day? Um, there's one point that I don't know that we talk about real often, but that might be helpful. And this is just kind of a, it's, off the beaten path, just, just a tiny little bit, but still matters. If you are writing a novel and you want to know, am I ready for an agent, but you don't have a proposal, you have an idea and a couple sample chapters, make sure that you have the proposal, a proposal. You can talk to an agent if you're, if you run into them at a coffee shop or you happen to see them at a conference in person or something, you can talk to them and ask them questions. But to present to them, you would need to have a proposal because you have to understand those aspects of your story before we can have an adequate conversation. Yeah. If your manuscript as a novelist isn't finished yet, that would be another first step. Finish it because as soon as an editor says, I'd like to see more, you would love to have that manuscript ready to go so your agent can send it out to that editor. So there isn't a big gap between when the editor says, I'd like to see more and when they actually get to see more. If you're nine or 10 months away from having that book finished, 
you may miss a window of opportunity. The other part of that is because novelists have to be able to finish. They have to be able to take, well, everyone does, every author does, but have to be able to take the story idea that they had and make sure it's a whole story. It's not a short story or it's a whole book. It's not a, an article. It, or it, there has to be, they have to be able to get through that middle. They have to be able to come to some good conclusions, have a great reader takeaway, all of that that's worked into the novel. For nonfiction, you do not have to write the whole book. A proposal, a well-researched and well-put-together proposal, plus two or three sample chapters, usually the first three, but it can be from later on in the book too, are preferred for most editors because oftentimes in nonfiction, the editorial staff at a publishing house would like to have input on what that nonfiction author makes sure to include or doesn't include, who they include, how things are footnoted, all that sort of thing. So, um, so the two different methods, the two different sides that the nonfiction book does not have to be finished. And in fact, if it is, it might be a little bit of a handicap. A novel would have to be finished. That might be some advice that some writers haven't heard before that will be beneficial to them and help them know, am I ready? Yeah. I haven't finished my nonfiction book, so I don't think I'm ready. No, you might be because yeah. a finished book isn't a requirement. And if you haven't finished your fiction book, the agent may take a chance, but it's going to make that time frame of when we can ever submit it much, much longer. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, we'll wrap this up with one more question that has to do with um, the submissions process. Um, one of the things that you've mentioned a couple of times is going to writers' conferences, or at least for right now, virtual writers' conferences. And basically, the idea is to keep on learning, but also to um, have an opportunity to meet and have a 10-minute conversation with an agent, right? Right. So the number of conferences that I've been to, where on the one hand, somebody is like, yeah, they asked me for my work, but I'm pretty sure they asked every single author for my work. So for their work, so I, it's probably no big deal um, to the people who are so excited. And then also um, the what I learned later from editors and agents, the percentage of people that actually follow through who get the request, but then get cold feet or something. Mm -hmm. um, do, you, do you have any encouragement for people if somebody says, yes, I am interested? At, it seems to be more at writers' conferences that, that writers suddenly de decide that I don't think that they really meant it. I'm not sure right. what what they're thinking. Yeah. But you've, I think you've experienced really this. Oh, definitely. For, for years and years and years. And for that same reason that you just laid out, the, the, my counsel really would be if they ask for it, get it as ready as you possibly can and send it because it's usually 80% that don't follow through. And if wow. you are among the 20% who do follow through, you already have a stronger foot in the door. The 80% will never get an agent if they don't follow through. Yeah. And among the 20%, a small percentage will make it farther in the line, but it's you're, you're sealing your fate to not be considered at all if you don't follow through. The other part of it is if the agent or the editor said, go ahead and send me that when you have it ready, do the when you have it ready part, 
before you send it and then refer to that and always mention that you asked me to send this to you this you requested that I send this to you when it was ready I spent the last two months six months three months four weeks whatever it is um do, taking your advice and implementing what you said or getting it to a place that I feel like it's more ready um and and here it is the agent is going to take that that always has an extra little oomph to it because the author followed through on their word. Right. So it may still be a no, but we still have been building our relationship because you stayed true to your word and I stayed true to mine and took a look at it, even if it had to be a no. Yeah. Um, the, the, those who think they don't have to do that step of when it's ready, that's a, negative because it, if it comes to me just as I heard it, but I had suggested that they do some research about that time period before they send it to me and they haven't, then that would be, um, you know, in the con column of the pros and cons of should I consider this author or not. Yeah. But, but that, I think that you have brought up a really good point, Kitty, that there are a lot of people who get such cold feet or say they couldn't possibly mean that they said that just to get rid of me. Even if that were the case, you have been given an open door <laughs> yeah. by the editor's invite or the agent's invitation. So take advantage of that, but don't take it for granted or take advantage of it. Yeah. Your homework, do your work behind the scenes, get it ready, and then do send it out. It will take courage, but this whole business takes courage. Yes, yes. And honestly, there have been times when I've been thinking, um, yeah, they probably asked everybody. They didn't really mean it. It's not really ready. I don't know why I pitched it anyway. And then I think to myself, if I do my very best job and I send it, I can just look at it as a learning opportunity. And I can be the, I can practice being gracious when they say no. And I can and practice being a good person when they say whatever terrible thing they're going to say, you know, and I build up something in my mind where I'm like, okay, well, I can handle that. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and really, we have to, we have to be able to handle it. If we think any of us think that we can be a writer and avoid rejection, that awful word or avoid disappointment yeah. or avoid being turned down for something we strongly believe in that is going to be proven false really soon in our writer life because we all will have to experience it. We know about the stories and the articles that have been written about the people who are extremely famous authors and they had 127 rejections before their book was received. We hear that and it encourages us for a moment but then we forget it when we get the no back from an agent or an editor. And somehow if we could either keep that posted nearby our computer or something so that we would recall this too is part of the process. Yeah. How we handle rejection is part of the process. Wonderful. Cynthia, this has just been a chock full of helpful information that I think is gonna be super encouraging to basically everyone on their journey, because no matter what you are considering doing, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, uh, pursuing an agent in tr traditional publishing, or if you've already decided I'm absolutely going to be doing self-publishing, there's still so many tips that are going to cover mm -hmm. for all writers. You need to always be willing to learn. You need to focus mm -hmm. on having good, healthy relationships. And uh, so many other things that you said that are going to apply no matter who you are and what you're working on. 
I, I agree, not because they came out of my mouth, but <laughs> they came out of my mouth because I heard them before. Yeah. Someone had shared it with me. Someone somewhere along the line in my own writing journey shared that information with me, and then it became a part of me. And then I could look back a year later or two years later or three years later and say, I no longer wrestle with point of view. I'm so grateful. Thank you. That's not my issue anymore. I have these other issues. <laughs> or, or I realized that, and this happened as, I know, here we go, trying to end, but um, uh, there was a, a time when I was scared to death to sing in church. And I guess I feared like we all fear public speaking and, and many or many of us fear public speaking and things like that. And I had a couple of total disasters when it's singing in church. I was a kid, you know, just a kid, maybe a teenager and then a young teen, a couple of total disasters, got off on the wrong key, started laughing and couldn't stop laughing. A couple of bizarre disasters. And what do you know, the people still cared and most of the people that were in the congregation thought, oh, that poor thing, instead of saying, what a fool. And when I came to realize I could fall down miserably and still survive this business of listening, living, that helped me to know I could fall down miserably in writing sometimes. I could alienate an editor or an agent and still live still yeah. survive this and then go on to find where I was really meant to be in the first place. So that that's, that's part of all of this. So you, you've brought up a great point there as well. You always do. <laughs> oh, thank you. Every time you give me any kind of compliment that has to do with the interview process, I'm always like, Cynthia Rookty, the 30-year <laughs> radio veteran just said something nice to me. <laughs> Well, listen, where can, where can we send people to find out more about you, your agency? I did not know that about reading agency blogs. So now mm -hmm. I've got something on my to-do list. Agents read agency blogs too, because oh. we love, we get a lot of information that way as well. So for books and such books, and it's an ampersand, such literary management is how you would look that up on the web. But um, any combination of that books and such agency or books and with an A and D, it's going to get to the same spot. <laughs> and then look for the blog there. Um, it doesn't really matter what the name of the blog is, but it's between the lines. Uh, look at that blog. And then any other agency that you've heard about or you've you've seen in the news or seen in an awards program or seen in an author that you respect who has mentioned their agent, go and look at that agency blog too and and figure that out or uh, see what you can get from that. Yeah. Then also for me personally, if you want to connect, if they would want to connect with me and, and that could be either for an agent question, or it could be a, a question about my own writing, they can go to my website, which is Cynthia rookti.com. The rookti is R-U-C-H-T-I, or they can reach me through hemmedinhope.com. Nice. It will, go the, it will go to the same spot. Excellent. Yes. Hemmed in hope. Those are at least three words most people can uh, spell without having to think it through, right? There you go. <laughs> and if people are interested in you as an agent, they can also just go to the about page and see what sorts of things you particularly tend to represent and what you're looking for. Yeah. That is true. On, on books um, and such. On books and such, there's an about page that shows what we're each interested in. Although almost all of us as agents would say, 
if a fabulous project comes along at the guidelines of someone might write and say, I, I know you're not taking children's right now, but I have this idea. That's not a bad way to start. If you know that if I say I'm, I'm taking no of a certain kind, like erotica, I'm taking no erotica. So there's no point in sending that to me, then, then obviously go by that. But, um, but still, if we have to say no, we'll just say no. That's yeah. the way it goes. You just want to put your best foot forward. So if it's something that is completely out of character with what you see our agency represents, you are doing yourself a favor to go somewhere else. Yeah. So that that would be true. They can go to the um, books and such website and find out a lot of information that will help give them um, an inroad and also a connection to how to reach us, a Excellent. representation um, address. Yeah. And there's so many more things that we could talk about, but, but one thing you would know that people haven't really researched you if they sent you a proposal for an erotica romance, right? I that mean, would tell me you don't know who I am. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so everybody do yourself a favor, do your research and it'll make you look better <laughs> and you'll be informed. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And, and cut, and it will cut a corner for them as well. So for writers themselves, you don't want to waste time no. uh, proposing to people that are an automatic no. So then you can use your time more wisely because you don't have that much of it to, to, uh, you don't have any to waste, honestly, yeah, yeah. you don't have any to waste. So if you, you are tailoring what you're offering to the kind of agency that would work with that kind of project, you're much farther ahead. Perfect. Cynthia, thank you so much for giving us so much of your time. And this is great information. I've even written some notes. I'm like, I hope she can't tell that I'm writing while we're talking. I'm like, that's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> I was doing the same thing. I was writing down words from you. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. Everybody, I'm sure, is really grateful for how much you've given us today. Thank you. My joy. My joy.